This is Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for December 18, 2006. I'm Tyson Acker in Minneapolis. Today on the program, we focus on the recent U.S. elections. We talk with Minnesota's newly elected Secretary of State, Mark Ritchie, about the issues that swayed rural voters at the polls. But first, Alan Giebert discusses the new face of the U.S. Congress and what the next legislative session will mean for agriculture and trade concerns. The 2006 elections changed the face of Congress. The Democrats now control both the Senate and the House of Representatives. A new U.S. Farm Bill will be written in 2007, and Congress must face some key votes with regards to trade. How will the new Democratic-led Congress change the U.S. Farm Bill and trade policy? To find out more, we sat down with Alan Giebert, an award-winning agriculture journalist and follower of rural politics for several decades. You know, in 2004, the hint was that rural voters could sway that election, and indeed, they probably did in Ohio. And in 2006, there's no question they swayed the election, not only in Ohio, but in Minnesota, in Kansas, in California, everywhere. And what we learned about the rural vote in this election was they were tired of the politics being played from the center to the right. And instead, they went with more Democratic candidates who were play politics from the left to the center. And I think that's very interesting because they they've went against what we had. Instead of going center-right, we're now starting left and going center. Well, give me some examples of some candidates that kind of represent what you're talking about. The, the most obvious one would be the Senate race in Montana, where you had a very right uh, Republican senator, 18-year Conrad Burns, very strong supporter of Bush, very strong supporter of the war, very strong supporter of trade, very strong supporter of status quo, ag policy. And he was defeated narrowly, took a day, by an organic farmer, John Tester, young guy, very bright, uh, current state senator. And a Democrat, but a Democrat who's not a free trader, a Democrat who is not a conventional farmer or a farm policy or a farm program user, an organic farmer. But when Tester starts talking policy, be it foreign policy or food policy, well, you'd think as a Democrat he'd start left and go further left. He starts left and comes to the center. And that's where most Americans are. That's what this election shows, especially rural America. They're more in the center now. And that is an interesting phenomenon because they were always really more to the right of center. Now they're back. They don't want all this free trade talk without first having talked to them. They want to know what free trade's about. Well, the... The Congress has changed, and, and so have a lot of the committees, and next year those committees are going to play a key role in shaping Farm Bill. Uh, can you tell us kind of how the agriculture committees have changed in the House and Senate, and what do you think that means? Well, yeah, of course, with the Democrats running, the Dem- running both houses, they'll run both committees. Tom Harkin will be back as the chairman of the Senate Ag Committee. 
you're going to see a greater emphasis, as you did in 2002 when Harkin was the chairman and the last farm bill was written, a greater emphasis on conservation. That's not to say you're going to see wholesale changes in current ag policy. You'll see conservation re-emphasized or newly emphasized. And biofuels, of course. Everybody's talking about biofuels. I don't think anyone has a clue on what they're going to do with biofuels other than at this point they're just promoting it. In the House, I'm a little bit more concerned. The House has a historical responsibility to write the Farm Bill. They always have. The Senate has kind of tagged along. But it was only when the House and the Senate were split in 2002, Democrats around the Senate, the House ran Republicans, did the Senate take the lead. It'll be interesting to see if the House goes back to its stronger, we write the bill, we'll give you a call when we're done role. And if that's the case, I think we'll see less change than perhaps people might suspect under the Democrats. Colin Peterson from Minnesota will be the chairman of the House Ag Committee. I've talked with Colin two months before the election, one month before the election, and he hadn't changed a word in, in, in the month about what he expected. Uh, I would think he's going to be a very conventional farm bill if Colin, Colin Peterson has his way. Now, the one thing I will give Congressman Peterson a great credit on, and one thing that does, in my view, need to be done, Peterson promises investigations of USDA. There's been a lot of stuff going on at USDA in the last six years that need to, to be investigated. For instance, why has USDA not run one investigation of one meat packer for price fixing or for collusion or for cheating? Not one in six years. Those packers, they're that pure? No. So we're going to find out a few things about issues such as that. And, good, and I would encourage Colin Peterson to do it. Are we going to see country of origin labeling this year? I would suspect so. It is the law of the land. It passed the 2002 Farm Bill. The House always held up funding at the behest of the meat packers. And the funding would have to come through the House Appropriations Committee and its Ag Subcommittee. And a Texan, Henry Bonilla, was chairman, a Republican, of that committee. He didn't want country of origin labeling. He's out. The new chairman, a Democrat, uh, Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut. She wants it, and she wants it now. So since it's already on the books, and since she's now going to be in control, and she's got the purse, the purse strings and the purse, you count it, take it to the bank. Uh, a lot of people outside of the U.S. are kind of wondering what this means for a uh, WTO-compliant farm policy. Do you see the WTO as being a factor at all in developing the Farm Bill? And could you see either subsidies being cut or shifted in different ways that might make it more compliant? You know, that, that's a wonderful question because it has no good answer at this point. It's wonderful because it's one thing we absolutely have to look out for. There's no question we talk farm policy. However, even before the elections, months before the elections, Neither the Republicans nor the Democrats in either the House or the Senate wanted to talk about the WTO and the 2007 Farm Bill. All parties in both houses said it's not going to have a role to play at all in the 2007 Farm Bill. Now, that might have been political smoke. I can't see how they can avoid it. But so far they have. Maybe it won't have a role. Maybe the Democrats won't heed the World Trade Organization's call. I'm pretty sure they have no intention to do it. 
However, you know, we are an interesting timetable. You know, the president loses authority to negotiate fast-track trade deals next June 30th. Maybe the House and the Senate Act Committee don't even have to worry about it. We don't know. I would think they're going to keep one eye very closely glued to any legislation coming out of it, uh, of either House or the Senate, on WTO legality. I, I don't think they can avoid it. I haven't heard anyone say we can avoid the WTO in the next 10 years. You know, so what if the, we don't get a deal done now? Does that mean we don't get a deal done ever? I don't, I doubt that. What's the timeline for completing the farm bill next year? I mean, your best guess, I guess we don't really know, but. Well, the current legislation does expire at the end of the, uh, this current fiscal year. It, it expires September 30th, 2007. So they need to either write a new one or extend the current one. And there's zero um, talk of extending the current one. Nobody wants to extend the current one. I don't know why, but nobody, I guess they all want their own little stamp on it. But I think both the House and the Senate, particularly the Senate, is going to be very active very soon. And I think, rightly so, the Democrats believe they have one year to do anything. And after that, it's an election year. So it'll be very difficult to get anything done in 2008. It's a presidential election year on top of it. Well, let me ask you about trade then real quick. Uh, trade did play a factor in some of the races in the last election, maybe for the first time in, in a while. How does the change to the Democrats, how does that change the Congress's view about trade, enthusiasm for free trade, or wanting to look at it in a different way? Well, I think you could make the argument, and a very strong argument, that trade was the crucial component in several of the close races, and that that issue alone won the race for several Democrats. John Tester, as I mentioned before. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, maybe in, in uh, Virginia, it, it played a role. I'm not saying it was the defining role. In Virginia, it was the war. How is it going to affect the upcoming 110th Congress? I think it's going to have a deep effect on it. I think no one is going to speak about trade as the first thing on any topic. It'll be the second or third or fourth day discussion item. They're not going to talk about trade immediately. They can't because it's, you know, it's a very touchy and tough issue. And I, would, I would suspect that the bulk of them, while they're always going to talk about trade quietly, Trade's not going to drive the agenda, not like it has in the past. It's not going to drive every issue. But having said that, you know, I would note that as we're talking today, the president is out of the country on a trade mission. I guess that's as good a place to do or good a thing to do after you get, like he said, thumped two weeks ago. I mean, you don't stick around. <laughs> but I think, it's, I think trade is a forlorn hope in the upcoming session of Congress. I don't think anybody's going to talk about it very loudly or longly. This is Ben Lilliston for Radio Sustain. Alan Giebert's weekly column, The Farm and Food File, appears in over 70 newspapers across the U.S. and Canada. Still Can't regret my
Among the results of the 2006 election was the victory of Mark Ritchie for the Secretary of State of Minnesota. Ritchie was the founder and longtime president of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. During the elections, Ritchie traveled throughout rural Minnesota, meeting with citizens and community leaders. We asked Ritchie to put on his farm and trade policy analyst hat and talk about the 2006 elections. The kind of social issue, hot button issues that we often see just kind of melted away and the voters concentrated on which of those candidates really understood where their own life situation found them. So I think this is an old lesson, an old story, but if um, rural communities hear uh, that their issues around the economy are being acknowledged and addressed, then those rural communities become engaged in the political process. So number one lesson for me was a, a repeat of a very old lesson, which is addressing the economic challenges that people face is the most important way to connect with voters. And if you do that, that becomes the hot button issue. Well, what, what are some of the unique economic challenges that, that rural communities in Minnesota are facing? Well, for example, uh, we've had a serious loss of population in many regions, sometimes because jobs moved overseas, uh, sometimes because uh, the economy was restructuring. And when we lose population, then we lose students in schools. And when we lose students in schools, we lose teachers. And so that's an important job in the community. When one part of the economy begins to deteriorate, let's say it's the farm economy or Main Street business, there's a ripple effect. And so this ripple effect or this interconnection between the economic difficulties in one sector, maybe it's in the livestock sector or in the crop sector or some small manufacturer that's closed because an import is allowed to decimate a domestic market, then it ripples out. And so in this process of understanding the interconnection, some of the politicians would say, oh, we can just let family farm agriculture go because it's a thing of the past and we are moving forward to industrial agriculture. They don't understand that the entire rural economy is interconnected. And if you let small manufacturing decline or disappear, if you let small businesses be decimated by the big box stores, or if you let crop farmers or livestock farmers be wiped out by mega dairies or mega livestock operations in California or some other part of the world, you pull a string out that then will unravel the entire rural economy. And it's that knowledge of the interrelationship that I think is often missing. And there's been a lot of talk about uh, new immigrants into a lot of rural communities. Did you see that uh, in your travels? Yes, it was amazing. Um, uh, I was meeting with a 29-year-old editor of the newspaper in a small town in very far north in Minnesota. And he pointed out to me something that I had noticed but had not understood, which was that the main street of his small town, there were now six stores operated by new immigrants from Mexico, food store, florist, uh, clothing store. And not only had that revitalized downtown so it didn't look dead and boarded up, which is the way it had looked before, but they also bought advertising in his newspaper. So they made it possible for him to have a thriving newspaper business. They made it possible for their downtown to look and be lively and attract customers who then would eat in the cafe or perhaps shop at some of the other stores. 
And he understood the importance of them becoming part of their community because he spoke about how many more children were in the local school, which then allowed them to add new teachers. Well, uh, Congress is going to have a new makeup, and the Minnesota legislature is going to have a new makeup uh, coming up in 2007. How do you think, uh, from the view of rural issues, things are going to change? What's possible now that maybe wasn't possible then? People like new congressmen-elect Tim Waltz from the southern region of Minnesota, who's now joining the Agricultural Committee, was one of the strongest voices. I mean, he himself is not a farmer. He's a high school teacher and a, and a leader in the National Guard. But he heard from and understood the plight of small towns and rural communities and family farmers, spoke to this in the campaigning, was critical to him getting elected, and understands that and asked for and has received appointment to the Agriculture Committee. He will join Minnesota Congressman, veteran Congressman Colin Peterson, who will now chair that committee. You're going to see a vitality and energy that brings a rural and farm economic perspective, not just from the point of view of a single farmer who represents a district of Iowa or something to that effect. You're going to have people who see the interconnection between a thriving small town and agricultural economy and the vitality of our moderate-sized cities and our manufacturing. This will be an important change. A lot of people around the world are uh, looking at the U.S. election and, and trying to draw conclusions or trying to understand exactly what's going on in U.S. politics. Uh, what kind of uh, messages should they be getting from this last election? Well, it's, it's very interesting to read the Financial Times, The Economist, the kind of global English language press, because uh, they've attempted to spend this election as one where moderate and conservative Democrats were successful in replacing sort of moderate Republicans. This is absolutely the opposite of what has occurred in the United States. Very progressive people ran for office and defeated some very conservative, particularly Republicans, throughout the country in every region. So this change wasn't just sort of an earthquake. This is a change that has been building for a long time. My privilege of running for office myself over the last two years gave me the opportunity to meet many of the new people. It's not just that I support them because they're progressive and they care about family farmers and rural communities. My impression is that they are people of the highest quality in terms of their ethical behavior, their understanding of the real world and of life, and of being authentic leaders. And in that way, many of them are what I would call best of generation. We have now turned the corner from sending ideological and greed-driven people who hated government into government, we are now electing and choosing as our leaders the brightest, the best people who fought in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, people who've struggled to survive economically and raise their kids under these circumstances, people who've watched their parents um, go through later life without adequate medical coverage or watch their pensions uh, disappear because of greed and corruption and criminal corporations like Enron, people who are 
the smartest, the most courageous, willing to work, and people who bring life experiences which will make them able to make America again a good neighbor. Mark Ritchie is the founder and former president of IATP and the Secretary of State-elect of Minnesota. For more analysis of the 2006 elections, visit tradeobservatory.org. Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. Our editor is Matthew Foster. The music on the program was Tall Fiddler by Deo, Ophelia's Song by Pan, and Someone Turning by Arctic. I'm Tyson Acker. Thanks for listening.